What do you know about the rapture? I was born into a Christian family and raised in the church, but after having gone to church for regularly for 25 years, if you had asked me to define the word rapture, I probably would have said it's a sensation you feel when your girlfriend kisses you. In all my years of going to church, I had never heard of the rapture one time. So, is it a biblical concept? What does it mean? And when will it occur? These and many other questions about the rapture are going to be addressed by a panel of Bible prophecy experts on this program. Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. As you can see, I have a studio full of people today, all of whom are experts in Bible prophecy. And let me quickly introduce them to you, and uh, then I want to kick off this forum by asking them a series of questions about the rapture. First is Gary Fisher, a dear friend of mine who is director and founder of Lion of Judah Ministries in Franklin, Tennessee, right outside of Nashville. Welcome, Gary. Glad to have you with us. Thank you, Dave. Great to be back. Next is uh, my former colleague here at Lamb and Lion, and this is Dennis Pollock. Uh, Dennis ministered together with me for 11 years before he felt called to establish a ministry called Spirit of Grace that's located in McKinney, Texas. Its uh, focus is the continent of Africa, but he goes many places to minister. Welcome, Dennis. Glad to have you. Well, thanks, Dave. Always love to be with you. And down on the end here, of course, is Nathan Jones, my fellow evangelist here at Lamb and Lion and my co-host on this program. Welcome, Nathan. Thank you. And I want to jump right into this. Let's do it. I happen to know that all three of you believe in something called the rapture of the church. And so my first question is, how can you believe in something that called the rapture when it is not even mentioned in the Bible? Well, Dave, we use names to define individuals. You know, if my wife was talking to someone about me, she wouldn't say, well, that old guy that I married, five foot ten, 170 pounds, and give a long definition, she'd just say Dennis. And it's just a lot simpler. And so we, we wouldn't have to use the word rapture at all. We could say, well, I'm just so excited about that great First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. You know, the one where the Lord descends from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught. You know, that, but it's just a lot well, easier to say rapture. The great, the great snatching yeah, away. <laughs> Which they get from First Thessalonians 4, 17. Then we who are still alive will be caught up yes. together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now, the Greek word for caught up is harpezo. The Latin was rapio, and when we Englishize it, we get rapio turns to rapture. So, it is in the Bible. It's right there, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. That's right. It is in the Bible. It's in the Latin <clears throat> translation, which is the only Bible the Western world had for about 1,300 years. Yes. So, it comes right out of there. It doesn't have to be in English for it to be a biblical word. Right. And then furthermore, I would point out that even if the word were not in the Bible, it it represents a biblical concept just like Trinity does. Absolutely. And that's not in the, yeah, Bible. That's not in the Bible. Or Shekinah glory of God, which is not in the Bible, but represents a concept that's in the Bible. Sure. Bible's not I, in the Bible. Well, I'm amazed. I'm amazed <laughs> that's <by> right. <laughs> Did you hear that? Bible's not in the Bible. Bible's not in the Bible. <laughs> Trinity either. I'm amazed by the resistance toward the Word because, uh, as we've already pointed out, that Word showed up in the Latin Vulgate, which published around 400 A.D., and it's been around yeah. that long. And we translated it into English, and it became the words caught up, as you pointed out, and, it, and the word disappeared. 
And the whole concept, as you pointed out, comes out of 1 Thessalonians, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Let's define the rapture because there may be people watching who have never even heard of the term like I did. Going to church for 25 years, I never heard it. Uh, so, what is a simple definition of the rapture? What are we talking about? It's the event at which Christians will meet the Lord in the air when He descends to retrieve His church. Okay. Yeah, Nathan talked about the, the Greek word harpazo. Uh, actually, you find that three times in the New Testament. Once is the First Thessalonians passage where it talks about us being caught up or snatched. It, it, it's basically meaning a violent grab or a snatch to, to take something for yourself. You also find it where Jesus said, I give my sheep eternal life and they'll never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. It's the mm-hmm. same exact word. and They won't rapture. They won't violently take them away from me. And then also with Philip, when uh, he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, the Bible says when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, snatched him away. So mm-hmm. it is essentially Christ snatching the church to himself mm-hmm. and exactly what he said he would do. Why do you believe that the rapture is an event separate and apart from the second coming? I would say the doctrine of imminence. Uh, there's no way to insist that the Lord can come today uh, if it's the second coming, because the second coming has many prophecies that need to be fulfilled before. Uh, but we have scriptures that demand that the Lord could come at any moment. So you're saying that the Bible says over and over that uh, the coming of the Lord can be any moment. It's any imminent. Moment. Today would be good with me. But the second <laughs> coming is not imminent. It is not. There's many well, problems that Yeah, really, if you look at the alternative for a, a pre-tribulation rapture, and the idea of Christ coming for His church at the end of the tribulation, what you would have to say then would be there is no possible way He could come today, because we haven't seen the Antichrist, mm-hmm. we haven't seen all this death and destruction Revelation prophesies about. Uh, there's so many things, you know, the, the Antichrist coming into the temple, showing himself to be God. There's all kinds of things. So what you would do is you would wake up every morning saying, no way could Jesus Christ come today. But that goes against the very heart of what Christ is telling us, which is to always watch for him. He could come at any time. Well, Nathan, there's two major passages in the New Testament about the coming of the Lord. One is in First Thessalonians, which talks about the rapture. And the other is Revelation 19, talks about the second coming. They're just as different as night and day. Mm-hmm. So they have to be two separate events. What, how are they different? Well, see, that's what, what one thing about the rapture being separate from the second coming is because when you read the passages about the rapture, like you said, 1 Thessalonians 4 and then uh, say 1 Corinthians 15 and so on, and then you compare them to the second coming where Jesus returns to earth and sets up his kingdom, Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark 13, they, they tell a very different story. For instance, at the rapture, it talks about believers, the church, being brought up to Jesus in the clouds and then going to heaven. But when you read about the second coming passage, the church is returning with Jesus from the clouds to go down to the earth. So there's a very different story there. Or like, for instance, when uh, the believers are taken up into heaven, uh, it gives a a definition about uh, the Mount of Olives. You know, nothing happens to the Mount of Olives. But when Jesus returns, the Mount of Olives splits. Or I think Dennis' major point there, the rapture is an imminent event. It could happen, as Jesus said, Matthew 24 at any time. But the second coming has seven years worth of 21 judgments that have to happen before the second coming. And in the rapture, Jesus Mm -hmm. doesn't even come to earth. Yeah, that's true. He never no. steps foot on the earth at but the But in the second coming, He does. He does. Yeah. Both, Very different. Both cases, you have Jesus coming for a major event. The first case is His wedding. He's coming as the heavenly bridegroom for His church to take them to Himself. The second case is His inauguration, where He's coming to the earth to rule and reign over the earth as Lord and King during the millennial reign. 
Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and our forum concerning the rapture. Now, fellas, uh, if there's going to be two separate comings of the Lord, uh, called the rapture and second coming, aren't you really talking about two second comings? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> well, you're talking about two comings of Christ. I mean, tr- traditionally scholars have called the second coming, or referred to the second coming as when He comes to rule and reign on the earth, and the coming of Christ for His church as the rapture. Uh, but, you know, as Shakespeare would say, a rose by any other name is going to smell just as sweet. So, essentially, you've got Christ coming twice, once for His people, second time to rule and reign on the earth. There are a lot of people that are bothered by this concept, uh, but if they would really think it through. Uh, this is not such a foreign concept because in the Old Testament there was two stages of the Messiah coming. One is a suffering Messiah, another is a glorious conquering Messiah. And uh, so we have the same scenario in the New Testament. So what you're saying then is the second coming is going to be in two stages. It is That's how stages. I like to look at it. I, yeah. I don't quite agree that it's two separate comings, but that it's the same coming. It bookends. Book ends on the event of the tribulation. Two A and two B, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. I would just have a little fun, but yeah. Oh, Gary makes an excellent point. You you know, there's nowhere in the Bible where it just flat out spells it out. For example, that Jesus, uh, the Messiah, would come first uh, to suffer and second to to reign. I mean, it does say that, but it's not put in such plain words that you read the Bible through one time and immediately get it. You, know, you have to think, you have to pray, you need to be led by the Spirit. And, and eventually by the time Christ came there were even some uh, Jews talking about the idea of, of, of a Messiah that would come and suffer and a Messiah that would come and reign. And of course now we just take that for granted, but it's not spelled out plainly. You know, if you're, if you're uh, trying a case for murder, the one thing you would, you'd, you would hopefully get would be an eyewitness. That would just settle it right there. You know, some credible witness to say, well, it, I plainly saw the guy do it. Yes. But if you don't have that, then what you do is you pile up circumstantial evidence. You pile up all kinds of weight of different things that all point to the same thing. And I think okay. that's what you have with well, the Well, let's rapture. talk about that for a moment. Um, there are people who believe in a, both a rapture and a second coming, but they disagree on the timing. Some believe the rapture will occur at the time of the second coming. People will be taken up to the Lord and they turn right back and come down. Kind of a yo-yo rapture yeah. at the end of the tribulation. <laughs> Some put the rapture in the middle of the tribulation. You fellows are putting it before the tribulation, pre-tribulation rapture. Now, give me an argument for a pre-tribulation, for the timing before the tribulation. Nathan? Well, I, one of the strongest, I think, is Second Thessalonians when it talks about the restrainer will be removed from the world when the Antichrist comes. When at the beginning of the tribulation, the Antichrist uh, is introduced to the world, he sets up a peace covenant with Israel, and the restraining influence of God is taken out of this earth. And I've always believed that the restraining influence of God is the Holy Spirit through the church. Yes. I mean, obviously the Holy Spirit's working during the tribulation to bring people to Christ. But to remove that restrainer, what is the restraint? The restraint is the church. So the church isn't there in the tribulation. How about you, Gary? What's an argument for them? Uh, again, I'd like to go back to that word eminence. Yes. Uh, because uh, the, the tribulation starts with prophetic events and they escalate all the way down to the second coming. But we argue from other scriptures that the rapture can occur at any moment. Uh, so, therefore, if it can occur at any moment, it obviously has to be before any of these prophesied signs take place. Mm-hmm. So, today would be good. Okay. <laughs> How about you? Uh, anything you want to add to that about why you would put it before the tribulation? Yeah. Uh, well, 
there is the whole idea of us not being subject to the wrath of God. There you there, go. There's yeah, the, the uh, concept of Lot and his family being pulled out before the fire falls. Uh, you know, we're not subject to wrath, but to obtain salvation through uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. So, I mean, that's a lot. But I think the, the point of eminence is so far above every other argument that it, it deserves, you know, the highest place. Uh, right. Clearly, we have to look for the coming of Christ at any moment. Well, I would agree, and uh, it's over in the First Thessalonians also, I'm trying to find it here, uh, where it speaks about the fact that we are waiting for the Lord to come from heaven. Yeah, First Thessalonians uh, chapter 1 and verse 10, we're waiting for His Son from heaven who He raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who will deliver us from the wrath that is to come. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty strong statement Absolutely. in behalf of a pre-tribulation rapture. Let me ask you this, are there any symbolic types of the rapture in the Old Testament scriptures. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, look at Lot, for instance. When Lot was to be in Sodom and Gomorrah, and it was towns were supposed to be destroyed by God, the wrath of God on those towns, uh, he sent angels to pull Lot and his wife and daughters out of that town before God's wrath came. I mean, God could have destroyed the entire town, including Lot, but he rescued the righteous people, and God always rescues the righteous. Well, I like Nathan's uh, point. Uh, Jesus himself chose two. Uh, of these uh, rapture types. And he said, just as it was in the days of Noah, Luke 21, so shall it be in the days of the coming Son of Man. Then he added Lot to the list, just Mm -hmm. as it was in the days of Lot. So what do those two have in common? The world has grown corrupt. God is mad. He's getting ready to judge. And what does he do in both cases? Pull the righteous out, and then his judgment falls. Mm -hmm. In fact, with regard to Noah, I would would argue that... uh, uh, the type of the rapture there really is uh, his taking Enoch out of the world. Enoch was a Gentile. That's the type of the church. He takes him out, then the flood occurs, and he preserves Noah and his family through the flood mm-hmm. as he's going to preserve the Jewish remnant uh, through the flood. But those are pretty clear symbolic types. There's Absolutely. one other one I'd like to add, uh, but before I get to that Old Testament uh, illustration, I, I want to ask the question, what does Mr. Rogers have to do with the rapture of the church? Uh, I would like you to answer that <laughs> then question. I will, then I will answer that question. <laughs> Believe it or not, there is a significance. Uh, if, you, if you remember the theme song of Mr. Rogers, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Do you yeah. remember what he does when he comes in? Takes he, he co- Go ahead, tell us. Yeah, he takes off his sweater, puts on and switches his shoes He out, gets right? comfortable. He sings <laughs> about what a beautiful day it is. He takes off his mm-hmm. sport jacket. He puts on a sweater. He takes off his dress shoes. He puts on some sneakers. He gets comfortable. Now, you say, what in the world does that have to do? Well, that is the exact opposite of what Jesus tells us to do and what we find in the Old Testament. Let me read what God told Israel to do. Uh, during the, uh, when the Passover would arrive. He said, this is the way you eat the Passover. With a belt on, around your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. He said, you eat it in haste. Remember when you would eat too fast and mama would say, don't hold your food. God says, eat it fast. He says, keep your staff in your hand. Don't take off. In other words, don't be like Mr. Rogers. Don't get all comfortable because you could go at any time. Now, let me go over to what Jesus says. He says, let your waist be girded about. Well, you know, you don't undo the robe. You don't get comfortable. Keep your lamps burning. Don't, don't turn out the lights yet. In other words, be ready to leave at any time. I think really both of those are, are telling us, always be ready. I could come at any time. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and our forum about the rapture. 
Fellows, let's get into some criticisms that people often make about the concept of the rapture. And the first one is this. Many argue that the church absolutely must go through the tribulation in order for the church to be cleansed. What about it? Biggest argument I hear from people who write into the ministry all the time is, well, that mankind has always had to endure some kind of tribulation. The church, we've suffered. There's Christians suffering. We're living in a time of great suffering. But they they get their semantics mixed up. There is tribulation for the church. But the tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, is a separate time period. It's a title, not a verb, so to speak. So, yeah, we have to suffer all the time. The church is suffering. But the tribulation is God's wrath upon the world. It's different. It's like the flood. And the church, verse after verse, does not have to suffer the wrath of God. I mean, you could read Revelation 3.10, for instance. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come over the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Does the church need to be cleansed by the tribulation? Uh, this, this issue is a spillover from man's tendency to believe he has to work his own salvation out. Uh, and back in the 1500s, there was a guy nailed 95 theses on a wall because they had by that time worked it out that man had to work his own salvation out. And uh, no, salvation is by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. And so the blood of Jesus is the only thing. Should be sufficient. It is the only thing. It and let me, let me add sin. this. And to- a million tribulations <laughs> wouldn't be enough to clean man up to stand for God. Amen. Let me add this to that. Suppose uh, a guy comes in the studio just covered with mud, just absolutely filthy. And I say, excuse me, I need to cleanse this guy. And I go and I find a gun and I shoot him dead. I say, okay, he's cleansed. (laughs) You're going to say, no, he's not cleansed, he's dead. Not cleansed, dead. When you read Revelation, yeah, there's a lot of suffering, but (laughs) there's a lot of death. I mean, probably billions of people dying if you take it for the way it reads. That's not cleansing, that's just killing. And if, if the church must go through that, Chances are we'd never live through it anyway, so it would be very hard to get excited about the coming of Christ. So, uh, no, the, it is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. Or even the partial rapture theory where they believe that only certain people anticipating the Lord's return will be taken. Right. The rest of the church has to suffer because they weren't looking for it. But I've found again and again that's a, a form of Christian snobbery. This idea that they're, obviously they're the one in the group that's no. going to be raptured up and not have to endure the tribulation. Well, actually when you argue that church has to go through the tribulation to be cleansed, what you're doing is creating a Protestant purgatory. Yes. Yeah. And and a lot of preachers in the old days especially, maybe not so much anymore, would use that as kind of a hammer to keep their audience in line. Even my mom used to tell me that she'd have preachers that would say, what would happen if Jesus would come back and you'd be in a theater watching a movie? In other words, boy, you'd be sure to stay behind. (laughs) Okay. Many critics argue that a belief in a pre-tribulation rapture constitutes an escapist mentality. I'm one. (laughs) <laughs> You're going to confess Luke right here on national Luke, TV? Luke 21, 36. Pray in order that you may have strength to escape these things. And Jesus and said that. Jesus said that. Yeah. Why did he say, why don't you pray in order to have strength to endure? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine going up to Noah as he's about to get into the ark, you know, and escape from the flood and say, excuse me, Noah, but you're really being carnal here. I mean, you're an escapist. <laughs> if you were really spiritual, climb a tree and believe God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Well, I think that pretty well sums that up. All right. Let me ask you this. Some of the critics of the pre-tribulation rapture concept argue that it's too new to be true because they argue the concept didn't even come into existence until the 19th century. How about it? Horse pucky. 
I think that's the word. If I'm going to be a Tennessean like Gary here. I, I, you know, bit, Dennis usually says baloney. Baloney? All right, whatever. Well, this is Texas, so All we use horse pucky. But uh, the whole idea that, that Darby back in the 1800s listened to some 15-year-old girl, McDonald, and just came up with this idea as nonsense. It was talked about in the Bible. Now, in the early church, they were concentrated on just surviving. They weren't yeah. concentrated on tribute. But you can read Barnabas and Papias and Justin Martyr. You can go in the Middle Ages, like Brother Dulcimus. You can go into more current times, uh, Reformation era, William Witherby and, and James McKnight. All these other people, they talked about a second coming and a rapture that are separate and a rapture usually that, that's imminent before yeah. the tribulation. So, it was well talked about before for Darby came on the scene. Well, you can throw Jesus and the Apostle Paul in there yeah, too, yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah. But I, I believe the strongest argument here uh, is not to talk about what they believe first century, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and, far, and on and on. The question is, does the Bible support this doctrine? Yes. Uh, can we go to the Word and, and find that doctrine built there? And I think we've already made a pretty good case for that. Well, we have examples, too, in history of people discovering the truth of the Bible. For example, in the Reformation, at the time yeah. of the Reformation, everybody thought you had to work your way to heaven. Right. Right. Suddenly Martin Luther says, hey, that's not what the Bible says. Yeah. And when you read Luther, you, you find that the biggest argument the church of his day had against what he was teaching was, we've believed this for a thousand yes, years. Yes. Who are you, little man, to come along and tell us that we've been wrong all this time? And yes. furthermore, when it comes to Bible prophecy, um, one of the problems you have is that the uh, Catholic Church in 400 A.D. accepted the amillennial viewpoint. And, and brother, if you violated that, you were burned to the stake. Uh, it, uh, it was one of those doctrines that was the church is the kingdom and that's it and you can't argue anything else. And they suppressed all other writings. They destroyed writings. We don't know for sure what all people wrote during the Middle Ages because they were killed off and their writings were destroyed. The common man didn't have the Scriptures. Really the revival of Bible prophecy occurred when people got the Scriptures in their hands in their own languages and suddenly they began to read it and say, hey, uh, Israel is going to be reestablished. And, and the Puritans 500 years ago began to argue this and people said, oh, you nuts, that will never happen. But they were just taking the Bible for what it says. And, and simply as people began to study Bible prophecy, the concept of the rapture began to emerge very clearly. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. People are studying it. Books are being written. People are teaching it. Uh, people like you uh, as, as a specialty, you know, with, a, with God's calling on their lives. And it's becoming much more widespread than it ever was before. The idea of the return of Christ and the, the prophecies, and I think that's all part of God's plan. Another criticism is people often say, well, the rapture is not mentioned in the Olivet Discourse and Jesus' long discourse about the end times. It's not mentioned in the book of Revelation, so how can you believe in the rapture? I think it's interesting, Dave, that the people had used that argument will be the first ones to jump into Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, and they'll use Matthew 24, 42 and 44 to argue the imminency of the rapture, but then they maintain there's no rapture there. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry, but I can't play that game with you guys. Uh, I believe there is a reference there. I also believe there's a reference, and uh, Nathan's already used that scripture, Behold. Uh, because thou hast kept the word of my perseverance, Revelation 3.10, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that hour about to come upon the whole world. So there's lots of references to the rapture. Yeah, in the midst of Revelation, uh, I forget the exact chapter, but it, it's like a little parenthetical comment that Jesus makes. I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches mm -hmm. and keeps Good. his garments. Mm -hmm. uh, lest he walk naked and they see a shame. So, you know, th there are hints to it. It doesn't necessarily mean it's happening right there at that point in, in, the, in the book of Revelation, but it does clearly... Uh, sh uh, serve as a warning that Christ could come at any time. Mm. Dennis, 
What if somebody's watching right now who uh, is hearing about the rapture for the first time that Jesus is going to appear in the heavens any moment, yeah. take the church out of the world? And let's say they're not a believer. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them? Just look directly into that camera in front of, right here in front of you and tell folks what they should do. Well, the message doesn't change. You know, we may be talking about some new things that you haven't heard of before or you've just heard a little about them. But we're not saying anything different than what Paul said and what Jesus said thousands of years ago, which is you need Jesus Christ. We are all sinners. We have all offended a holy God. And as we read Revelation, we read about the wrath of God. But it's not enough just to see God's wrath in a big cosmic perspective where He's angry at the world and He's sending judgment. His wrath is on every individual life. And that's why we need forgiveness. And the Bible says, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. He loved you. He gave Christ for you that you don't have to deal with the wrath. Christ took it for you. Receive Christ by faith. Be born again. Be forgiven. And you'll have the hope of heaven. Thank you, Dennis. That's wonderful. Folks, uh, the thing you need to keep in mind here is go read John 3.36. John 3.36. It's a sermon by John the Baptist. And in that verse, he says that every person on planet earth is either under the wrath of God or the grace of God. God must deal with sin, and He deals with it in two ways, wrath or grace. It's a glorious thing to be under the grace of God. It's a terrible thing to be living under the wrath of God. You want to move from wrath to grace? Reach out in faith and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Gary, Dennis, it's been great to have you guys on. I hope you'll come back next week and help us tackle another big issue. Yeah, we'd love to. Thank okay. you, Nathan, for the invite. be a great honor. Excellent. Well, just real quickly, look in the camera and please give your contact information for our audience. Thank you. www.lionofjudaministry.org for me, Gary Fisher. And mine is spiritofgrace.org, spiritofgrace.org. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you coming and your agreement to come back next week. Folks, that's our program for this week. I hope it's been a blessing to you. And I hope you will be back with us again next week when our panel of Bible prophecy experts will be discussing questions about the book of Revelation. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Nathan Jones and myself saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Dr. David Reagan's book, God's Plan for the Ages, contains a comprehensive overview of all aspects of Bible prophecy. It's written in an easy-to-understand, down-to-earth style that you will find appealing, in addition to all the prophecies concerning the first and second comings of the Messiah, it deals with a host of other prophetic questions, such as, what happens when you die? What will heaven be like? What's the future of the earth? Where is the United States in prophecy? When is the rapture most likely to occur? Is the Antichrist alive today? Are there signs of the times that are unique to our day and age? The book contains a variety of charts and diagrams which illustrate various aspects of Bible prophecy. The book is available for a gift of $15 or more plus shipping. Please call the number you see on the screen. Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time and ask for it by name or order online at lamblion.com. The book contains 42 exciting chapters about Bible prophecy and runs a total of 415 pages. Again, it can be yours for a gift of $15 or more plus shipping. Call the number you see on the screen or go to our website at lamblion.com. 
The Lamb and Lion Ministries Annual Bible Conference is scheduled for July 11th through 12th, 2014, and will be held in the beautiful Eisman Performing Arts Center in Richardson, Texas, a suburb of Dallas. The theme of the conference will be America's Spiritual Crisis, and will begin with a one-hour concert by Dove Award winner Janet Paschal. Dr. David Reagan will follow her by delivering the first of six presentations. The conference will continue all day Saturday with presentations by best-selling author Carl Gallup's New Age expert Warren Smith, cult expert Eric Barger, national radio host Jan Markell, and Christian doctrine expert Mike Gendry. The conference is free of charge, but seating is limited, and therefore you must register. You can do so by calling the number on the screen Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time, or register online at lamblion.com. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 